Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. You ever feel like this is the way God feels to you? Dark. You can't see. You can't see him in the midst of your dark circumstances. Like you can't quite figure out what he's doing. Like things around you are spinning out of control, yet when you look for him, you can't see him. Like everybody else around you and the people that you look up to in faith, they seem to believe in him still. But for you, you can't see him. So you feel like you're left in the dark. I think for me, And for most of us, the times where it seems the darkest and that we can't see God are the times in life when we're in the toughest spot. Maybe it's when you get a diagnosis and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Maybe it's when you've just had a relationship that you counted on that fell apart. It's in those times where we seem to see God the least. And don't you want to see him in those times? I mean, don't you, don't you want to believe that he's orchestrating things, that he's doing things, that he sees you, but yet you can't see him? He seems silent, and he seems absent. Maybe today, maybe you're going through something and it's not your fault, but you still find yourself in the situation that you're in and you just can't see where he's working. Maybe you're waiting on a child, a child that you raised and loved, but yet they've gone so far outside of the bounds that you gave for them that you don't know if they'll ever come back. Maybe... Maybe the world seems to be crumbling around you. It's in those times where we have the hardest time seeing God. Today, I want to talk for just a few moments from the subject of now I see it. Now I see it. We're starting a new series today that we're calling Oddballs. And some of you think it's about you. (laughs) It's not about you. Uh, But over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some stories in Scripture and some people in Scripture that are really odd. And I would almost guarantee you that for a lot of you, over the next few weeks, you may have never heard of any of these characters. You may have never heard any of these stories. And if you have heard them, you may not have even ever heard a sermon on these, on these topics. Today, I want us to look at a lady in Scripture who felt like she couldn't see God, who felt like she had been taken advantage of, She had been left alone. She was forgotten. She was mistaken. She wasn't acknowledged. She wasn't noticed. And I want us to take a look at how she began to see God even in the midst of 
the darkness. And this, and this morning, my main objective, I'm just going to go ahead and share it with you. My main objective is I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. I just, I feel like there's so many people right now who are discouraged, who are lonely, who are in that dark space where they can't see what God is doing. And they are starting to waver a little bit. Even if, if he cares, then he doesn't care about me is what they're feeling. And so today, I just want to encourage you. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Genesis. If you don't know much about the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's early on in the history of man where this story takes place. God has created man. Man has sinned. Man has stepped outside of the bounds of what God had for him. God has sent the flood. The flood has destroyed the earth. Noah built his ark. He saved the animals. He saved a few people. And now God is making a promise to a guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Now, in the story we're reading, there are Abram and Sarai because God would later change their name after he makes this promise to them. But Abraham and Sarah are promised that they are going to have a whole nation birthed from them, that God is starting over after the flood, and he wants a relationship with a group of people. And so God promises Abraham and Sarah that he is going to birth an entire nation that's going to walk with him, that's going to talk with him, that's going to love him, that he is going to love, that he is going to shepherd. The problem is, is that Abraham and Sarah don't have any kids. So it's hard to imagine that you're going to have as many children as stars in the sky is what the Bible says he was promised when you don't have a child at all. To make matters worse, Abraham is approximately 75 years old when God makes this promise. I don't know much about biology, but I know that 75 isn't prime baby-making time. And so God's made this promise. He's 75, 10 years past since God has made the promise to Abraham. And they don't see him working. They don't see any progress. They feel like they are left in the dark and they don't see him working. And that's where we'll pick up the story in Genesis 16, starting in verse 2. It says, so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, that sounds like a Netflix document, or not a documentary. It sounds like a Netflix series that you would binge watch, but it's not. It's Genesis. It says, and Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Sarai and Abram are in a period of waiting. They're in a waiting season. They're in a a waiting time. And I would nearly bet you that you're waiting on something. If you're not waiting on something right now, I would nearly bet you that you are going to wait on something starting tomorrow morning. I bet you're waiting on something. Maybe you're waiting on this message to be over so you can go. Maybe you're waiting on God to speak something to you because you need a word of encouragement. Maybe you're waiting to see him move in a way that you've been, you've been praying he would. Maybe, maybe you're waiting on the next job interview. Maybe you're waiting to not feel like you feel right now. But I would nearly bet you that today you're waiting on something. You're waiting on somebody 
You're waiting on a circumstance to change. You're waiting on a relationship to mend. You're waiting on some news to hear. I bet you're waiting. And here's what else I know. When we wait, we get impatient. I am the world's most impatient man. I've been working on myself a long time. But we're all impatient when we're waiting on something that we desperately want or need, aren't we? And what happens as we wait, we get impatient, and then we begin to worry. In the waiting space is where the worrying begins, because you don't know how it's going to turn out. Is God, is God really going to give me what I asked for? And, 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 and here's one of my worries as I'm waiting on God to do something. Like, I, I believe, I have enough faith to believe that God hasn't forgotten me and that he hasn't left me, but I'm just a little worried about how he's going to make it happen. Anybody else? Like, I want it to happen, but I don't want to hurt. I don't want it to hurt. I don't want to have to struggle. And so when we're in this waiting season, we begin to get into this worry season where we are concerned about how it's going to take place, if it's going to take place, what's going to happen, what can happen. And today, I bet you're waiting. Maybe it's on a healing. Maybe it's on relief. Maybe it's, on a, it's for a sense of security. But I bet you're waiting and you're finding yourself worrying, worrying about what you could be missing, worrying about what may happen, what could happen, what wouldn't happen. I bet you're waiting and I bet you're worrying. And here's the key. Worrying while you wait is often the place of personal struggle. If you talk to people who suffer from personal issues, whether it be emotional spiritual, even physical issues, a lot of those issues begin to set in when you're waiting and you're worrying about something. When it's dark and you can't see the end because what happens is because you can't see a way out and you can't see what God is doing, what happens is you begin to replay things in your mind, don't you? You begin to think about how this could happen. You begin to think about what could happen. You always go to worst case scenario. And when you're waiting and, in your wor- and, and you're worrying, you get trapped in your mind. You begin to, you begin to think, is it always going to be like this? You begin to think, well, is it going to happen? You begin to think, is it not going to happen? What could happen? What can I do? Is, is there anything I can do? And you begin to replay these thoughts over and over, and you begin to get confused because all you have is confusion. You don't see any resolution, and you are trapped in your mind. And oftentimes, that is the place while you're waiting and worrying. Oftentimes, that's the place where things like depression sink in. That's the place where Anxiety begins to take hold. That's the place where you go back to those substances that you thought you had left behind. It's in that waiting season. It's in that worry season because you don't see anything. And so what are you supposed to do? I'm stuck here by myself. I don't feel like my prayers are getting answered. I don't feel like there's anybody with me. I feel alone. So what am I supposed to do? I'm just going to think. And it's the place where a lot of times relationships are broken because what do you do when you can't argue with God? You argue with the people that are closest to you, right? And then we begin to look for alternative ways to work it out. That's what Abraham and Sarah are doing here. They've been stuck in this, in this season of waiting 
They've been worried about the outcome, and so they decide, you know what, God, if you're not going to do it and I'm not going to see you doing anything, I'm going to make it happen myself. I'm going to do something about it. If, 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 if you're not going to wake up, if I'm not going to see your activity in my life, then I'm going to take matters into my own hands because time is running out here, God. Have you ever told God that? Like, God, the clock is ticking. God, things, things, things are getting out of control. And so we're waiting, we're worrying, and then we decide we're just going to work it out. We're going to figure it out. We're going we're gonna to make it happen. He's not moving fast enough, and so we got to do something. And then oftentimes that's where we begin to justify stepping outside of the means of things we know are right in order to make it happen. That's where we stretch our morals. Because at that point, we're waiting, we're worried, we're desperate, we're trapped inside our own mind, and so we're just like, listen, it may not be the right thing to do, but somebody's got to do something. That's where Abraham and Sarah are here. They're waiting on something to change because they don't see anything happening. And so they begin to stretch what they know is right in order to make it happen. But here's my question. What if the waiting season for you isn't God putting you off, but it's him preparing you? What if the darkness, the inability to see God move, what, what if it's not him putting you off, but what if it's him preparing you? What if, what if he's orchestrating some things inside of you? What, what if he's building some things inside of you that you can't even feel as you go? What if he's doing something inside of you so that when you get what he wants to give you, you can actually hold it? What if he's building stuff? What, is, what if he's moving some people around? And in the moment, you don't see it. You don't see him working. It just feels like darkness to you. And you're worried because it's not happening the way you want it to happen. But what if he's moving some pieces around and he's orchestrating some things because he is willing to go to great lengths to move things around and work out his plan in your life? What if your waiting season is God's working season? And while you're stuck in your own mind and you're beginning to make things happen, manipulate situations, force the hand, God is doing something that you can't see behind the scenes. And so Abram and Sarai, they've begun making their own plan work. Abram sleeps with Hagar, and she gets pregnant. Hagar at this point, because she's the servant, begins to strut around because she's pregnant and Sarai isn't. This is what verse 5 says. It says, then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Isn't it funny how in tight situations like that, we blame other people even after we're the ones who made a, made a mess of it. 
And usually, and maybe this is just a word of warning for some of you that are struggling today, usually it's the people that are closest to us that we fuss at the most when we're in a situation that we can't figure out how to get out of. It says, then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she ran away. When you get impatient, when I get impatient, and I decide that I have to make things happen on my own, what I've noticed is when I get what I wanted, it's not what I needed. Do you ever notice that? When I stretch outside, because I'm tired of waiting on God, when I stretch outside of what he has for me and I actually get it, it's not what I needed in the, in, in the first place, is it? I, I love frozen pizza. I know, weird confession. I'm just laying it all out there. I would consider myself a frozen pizza connoisseur, maybe even a, a frozen pizza gourmet chef. Because I don't just take the frozen pizza out of the box and put it in the oven. No, I master it. So I add my own toppings, right? Y'all do this? Because First off, you got to start with a decent frozen pizza. But second off, you got to add some more stuff to that. And so when you're a frozen pizza gourmet chef like myself, you add whatever you have laying around. You got to add some jalapenos. Got to add some extra cheese because it's never enough of that frozen cheese mash that they put on there to start with. And so what I do is I'll master my my frozen pizza and then I'll put it in the oven and set the timer for 17, 15 minutes, whatever the box says. I do try to read the directions. And then it never fails, especially if I'm at home by myself, which probably is never a good idea, but especially if I'm at home by myself and I don't have Melissa around to kind of slow me down. Always a couple of minutes before my frozen pizza is supposed to be done because I'm a frozen pizza gourmet chef. I know better. I always think I don't want the crust to burn, so I always pop it out a minute or two early. So I'll pop it out a minute or two early. I'll cut that booger into a few pieces, and then I'll take a first bite of the end of that pizza, and what happens? It's cold. So I have to pop it in the microwave. By that point, it's soggy, and it, I have ruined my creation. Some of the situations that you're in right now, if you abandon God, or if you take them out of the oven too early, it's not going to be what you want it to be. You got to let it cook. Some of you, I, I feel it. Some of you are just about to pull back. You're just about to give up. You're just about to let go. You're just about to manipulate it to try to figure it out yourself because you can't see God in it. If you don't let it cook, it's not going to be what you wanted and it's not going to be what you needed. It's not just frozen pizza, but it's with stuff that's bigger than that. You're worried, you're waiting, and then you decide to make it work. Some of you have past marriages that prove that principle, don't you? God, give me a man. God, give me a woman. Meanwhile, you haven't met anybody with, with, with a job or that takes a shower. And so what do you do? You go and you marry the first one that has a job and has taken a shower in the past week. And what happens? It wasn't what you needed, but you made it 
happens. Some of you are, are driving. What you came here today proves this principle. You wanted something new. You wanted something bigger. You wanted something more shiny, but you didn't have the money to pay for it. So what did you do? You didn't wait on God. You went out and you signed the loan yourself and said, I'm getting this. And now you're miserable because you have something that the new has worn off of that you didn't need in the first place. Some of you, you have shaken relationships because of this principle. Don't take it out of the oven too early let it cook. I know it's hard because you don't see him. You don't see anything changing and you can't see it with your own eyes. And so you want to make it happen. But if you do it now, it's not going to be what you want. It's going to mess you up later. Abraham and Sarah, they have exactly what they wanted, but it's not what God wanted for them. And so they're miserable. And now Hagar is on the run. She's mad, and she's on the run. Look at verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. She replied. So Hagar begins to try to run from her problems. Many of you today, you've tried to run from your problems, haven't you? Maybe they were problems that you created because you didn't wait. Maybe they were problems that somebody else caused, but you're, you're running. You ran from your family, you've ran from the way you were raised, you've ran from your faith, you've ran from trying, you've ran from responsibility, you've ran from the pressure, you've ran from the pain, you've ran from the people, and you are on the run. Can I just tell you today that you cannot run from your problems? You can't run from your problems. You can't run from your problems because it doesn't, do, it doesn't do you any good. Basically, all it does is makes it harder to solve the problem, doesn't it? Because you're further away from it. You can't run from your problem because a lot of the times you take the problem with you because you're the problem. Am I right? And so Hagar is, is on the run. She's running from her problems. She's running from Hagar because she's been taken advantage of she's been the servant, she's been left alone, she has a problem, she's on the run from her problems, but do you know what I love about this story and what I love about Hagar's story is even though Hagar runs, God chases her down. The angel of the Lord chased her down. And some of you, I know you've been running today. You've been running from your problems. You've been running from God. Can I just remind you that you cannot run fast enough or hide well enough to hide from God that he'll chase you down? Some of you, that's your story. You tried to run from your problems. You tried to run from your problems by creating another problem. You tried to run from your problems by sleeping with another person. You tried to run from your problems by 
doing, taking an, another drink. And you ran and you ran and you ran and you couldn't see God, but God chased you down. That's why some of you are here today. Some of you are in the building this morning because God is chasing you down right now. And he brought you into this place for you to hear that he has not left you. And even though you can't see him, he is still chasing after you. Hagar is on the run. She's by this spring, and God chases her down. And I think it's important that she's sitting by a spring when the angel finds her. Hagar is obviously needs a physical need met. She's obviously thirsty because she's been, she's been running, and she needs some water. But I think there's something deeper significant about Hagar sitting by a spring. I think she is physically thirsty, but I also think she's looking for something to quench the emptiness at this point. I mean, just just think about what she's been through. She was basically a pawn in Abraham and Sarah's hand. She's been a servant all of her life. She's a young girl. She would have had no rights in this culture. She's their servant, and so when she was told to sleep with Abraham, she had no choice. She does exactly what she's told to do as a servant, and now Hagar is treating her with contempt, the Bible says, and now she's on the run. Don't you think that she has a deeper need, a deeper thirst than just a physical thirst to quench? Some of you this morning, you have a deep thirst that needs to be quenching, needs to be quenched. Some of you, you've been there. You are there. You feel like something's missing. You have this deep need, this deep desire inside of you, and it hasn't been quenched. And you are. You're thirsty. And yes, I mean it in that way. If you don't get it, Google it later. But yes, you're, you're, you're thirsty. You're looking for meaning. You're looking for relief. You're looking to be noticed. You're looking to be acknowledged. And I think this is a huge problem in 2021 because what I've noticed over the past nine months is that people are more lonely. People are more stuck inside their own heads. People are walking in the dark right now more than ever. And so this angel shows up in the midst of Hagar's thirstiness. And this angel isn't just some other character from the story. Most scholars believe that anytime you see the words angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's not just some other heavenly being, but it's literally Jesus himself showing up in the Old Testament. So get this. Hagar is on the run. She's thirsty. She's lonely. And yet Jesus, the Holy One, the perfect one, the one who John 1-1 says that has always been and everything was created through him, Jesus, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father on a heavenly throne. Jesus, the one who knows the beginning from the end. That Jesus would be willing 
in that moment to leave his throne in heaven, to take a step off of his throne, to portray himself as an angel, and to meet this abused servant girl who feels alone. It's the first time in the Old Testament that we see the words, angel of the Lord. And who does Jesus show up to? An abused servant, lonely, raped young lady. Don't tell me he's forgotten about you. He will chase you down. Don't tell me you've done too much. Don't tell me you aren't significant enough. Jesus himself portrays himself as an angel for the first time in Scripture, and he finds Hagar, a servant girl, a girl that culture at the time wouldn't have taken a second look at. But Jesus shows up in her midst, in the midst of her blindness and desperation. And maybe the most important thing that happens is this angel acknowledges her. Some of you today, that's what you need. You feel alone in a crowded room. You feel left out like everybody else is moving forward and you're going backwards. You feel like if you hear one more piece of bad news, you're just going to throw it all away. This angel of the Lord acknowledges, acknowledges Hagar when she's at her lowest. And then the angel continues in verse 11. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man and as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Now, there's a lot there and I'm not going to unpack it all. But basically what this angel is, is telling Hagar is, I'm going to take care of your baby. This baby would be Ishmael, the founder of the Arab people. And while he would enjoy some blessing from God, he would be at odds against the Israelites for the rest of his life. But here's the most beautiful part. Here's the part that I want you to see. And I really, really hope that I can clearly communicate the way that God showed this to me. Genesis 16, 13. It says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. The Hebrew word there is Elroy. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Laha Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Bird. So get this. <laughs> get this. this. Are you ready? Are, are you ready? Y'all wait. Get this. Get this. Y'all ready? Sure? You sure? Hagar's pain. Hagar's experience, Hagar's worst moment, the darkness around her, her blindness to God on the run, left alone, left out. The pain brought her face to face with the living God. 
Only through the pain was she willing to run to the spring. Only by being thirsty and sitting by a spring was the Son of God willing to meet her as she sat. I wonder if your pain today can't be the road that leads to your revival and renewal. I wonder if the blindness that you feel to what God is doing and the darkness that you see all around you, I wonder if that can't be the very place where God meets you and says, I see you. He is Elroy. He is the God who sees. He is Elroy. He is the God who looks down. He is the God that operates in your life. He is Elroy. If you feel like you have nothing, you're in a perfect place to receive everything that he has. He is Elroy. He reaches down to this thirsty, broken, depressed, confused, alone, abandoned, abused, on-the-run girl, and he says, I see you. I am Elroy. I am the one who knows. I am the one who sees. I have not forgotten about you. He sees her, and you know what today? He sees you. He sees you. This was Hagar's first encounter with God, and where does it happen? At our most desperate place. If you push away from God right now, your pizza's not going to be cooked. And you're going to miss what he has for you on the other side of you realizing that he sees you. He is Elroy, and he reaches down to this lady at her worst moment. Some of you today, I know you feel like this is your worst moment. You're thinking, and you're thinking, it hasn't ever been worse than it is right now. You're broken. You're hurting. You're embarrassed. You're disappointed. You're confused. You're sick. You're grieving. You have no answers. He is Elroy. Some of you today, you feel invisible. Like nobody around you even notices you're there. Like, if today, if you ended your life, no one would even care. No void would be left. Can I remind you today that he is Elroy? He is the God who sees. Some of you today, you need to know and you need me to tell you that God knows. He knows you've been abused. He knows the depression has set in. He knows you feel alone. He knows you feel in the dark. He knows you feel blind. He knows you've been running. He knows you've been hiding. He knows you've been trying to find yourself. He knows you've tried to turn to different things to fulfill it. He knows you're scared. He knows, but he is Elroy. He sees. You see, this is the first time that Hagar realized that God saw her, but he always saw her. This is the first time in Scripture where we see the name of God, Elroy. And it happens to this servant girl. He sees you.
want you to think just for a moment about the last time that you felt ashamed, you felt unseen, or you felt broken. Think about the circumstances that surrounded it. Maybe you were disappointed. Maybe things didn't work out. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe you were taken advantage of by some people that you trusted. Knowing what Hagar went through, do you see it now? Do you see that maybe, just maybe, he was Elroy then too? That he was working through the pain? That he was working around the pain? That he was working while you were waiting? He is Elroy. He knows. And he still sees. Do you see it now? With every head bowed and every eye closed. There's somebody under the side of, sound of my voice who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe they're watching online. Maybe they're sitting in this room. You've been blaming God for a lot of things. You've been running. been running from the emptiness. You've been running from the hollowness that you feel. Not, not able to figure out why you keep feeling like that. Can I just present to you this morning that it's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus? It's funny that when Hagar was thirsty, both physically and emotionally, Jesus showed up. If you're thirsty, Emotionally, Jesus wants to show up right now. Can I, just, can I just beg you as passionately as I know how that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that you get that right. That you quit running and you surrender. You don't have to know all the answers. If that's you, just pray this prayer in your heart. It's more of a confession. Just say, Jesus... I don't know what else to do. I've tried myself to fill the void. I've tried to, to do the right things, but I can't do it. So I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe you see me. I surrender my life to you in Jesus' name. God, thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. God, thank you for your word and for meeting the most left out, broken people right where they are in the midst of their pain. God, there are a lot of people discouraged right now. 
God, but I feel like they would feel better if they just knew that you saw. That you see them. That you see the way out. God, encourage our hearts today. Build our faith. Help for us to find rest and renewal. Even on the road through pain. Thank you for the honor of teaching your word in Jesus' name. Amen.